Good morning, church. Are you happy to be in God's house today? It's 2020. Hey, listen, I, I'm, I'm, I'm fired up. Are you fired up to be in God's house? <laughs> God put a word in my heart, and I'm just, I'm a little weird right now. Forgive me. I'm just excited um, for what I get to share with you today. Listen, if you're here for the first time joining us um, here at Mantua or joining us for the first time at Collingswood, welcome to True North. We're grateful, actually humbled that you choose to spend your Sunday morning with us one more time. I know it's been plenty of times, but let's give some love to, to everyone who's here for the first time. Grateful that you're in church with us today. Hey, can we do something different? Can we start 2020 different than we have in 2019? Can you stand to your feet? Everyone here, everyone joining us at Collinswood. I asked our, I asked our founding pastors, Pastor Eric and Joanne, to join me on stage this morning before I go any further in the word. And as they come out, I wanna, I, I wanna pray and make a declaration over our lives. Can we do that? How many of you know that there is power in our words in what we pray? Oh, you snuck up on me. And um, there's power in, in our words, and I want to make sure that we enter into something new with a new, fresh declaration over our lives. I, I love what the prophet Isaiah says. He says that he, he declares that, behold, God is doing something new in, in this season. And he almost says, do you not see it? You need to know something about God. He's always doing something new. He's always doing something new, and it's our prayer that as we go into 2020, we'll have the faith to believe and to see the new things that God's doing. So we're going to collectively pray, the three of us, and as we pray, I just want to ask you to, uh, to lift your hands as we pray, but also to pray with clarity. Pray specifics to God. Pray in faith. Believe that God can do exceedingly abundantly more than you could ever ask or imagine. And so we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit and then share some things. We're excited about what God's going to do moving forward um, into 2020. Am I supposed to be over there? Or no, you're doing great. I kind of feel like yeah. I'm sandwiched yeah. between two people yeah. of faith. This is great. But um, no, we have some core values, and I know that one of them is until everyone knows. Yep. And yep. Um, that has always been, since the foundation of True North, one of the key things that's been in your heart to see people come to Jesus. Yeah, yeah. So um, we, we want to pray these? or Yeah, we're going to yeah. pray. We're going to pray. Pastor E is going to lead us off into praying, Pastor yeah. Jay, and then I'll close off in prayer. But <laughs> it's not going to be a long prayer. We're not going to intercede for 45 minutes. Um, it's going to be a concise prayer. But listen, I, I want you to join. I want this house to be a, a, a house of faith and a house of prayer. And, and before we even begin, let me just challenge you. How often do you gather the people that you lead and you love and teach the people in your circles how to pray? What does your prayer life look like with your spouse and your family? Do you storm the throne room of heaven and approach it with confidence and authority, as it says in Hebrews? I want this year to be a year of faith in the way that we pray for, pray for things of God. Listen, God doesn't do things autonomously from us. He does things in collaboration with us. And so I want our prayer life to align with the things that God desires to do in our lives. Amen? Amen. Come on, why don't you stretch your hands to heaven. Everyone at Collinsville, come thank on, join God. us this morning, and let's pray. Go ahead, Pastor E. Father, we just thank you that we could be here this morning, Lord. And, and Lord, we, we know that we have a desire to see until everyone knows, until the harvest comes in. Yes, God. But Lord, I also pray that 2020 will be a year that we know who we are spiritually. Yes. Lord, that we know that we are sons and daughters of God, that our identity is right. And Lord, when our identity is right, then we can go forth bearing that precious seed. Lord, that we can see people come to Jesus Christ like never before. So, Lord, we pray that you would begin 2020 to send laborers into the harvest. Yes. Lord, that can join us yes. 
into this harvest that we see this year, Lord. So we believe 2020 to be a great harvest until everyone knows. Amen. In the name Amen. of Jesus. Amen. And, our, and our another core value we have is made to move. And not only we want to bring souls in to they accept Christ, but we want everyone in here to grow. The building is incredible, but that's not the church. You're the church. Yeah, and on. we need to grow individually, and we need to grow corporately Thank in our Jesus. knowledge of the, Lord, of the Word and the Lord. And so we're going to pray, guys, and just pray with your whole heart. Let's just pray that we as a church grow, and each of you individually yes, is going to be an incredible, incredible year of growth, okay? Let's just pray. Father, we just lift this up to you right yes, now, Jesus. Lord, that we would be a church of growth. We're not satisfied to stay where we are. We're not satisfied to be mediocre, but Lord, we, we want to excel in everything that you have for yes, us. And we, I pray that you would fill us with the knowledge of your will, with all wisdom and understanding, that we would, each one of us, walk in a manner that's worthy of yes, you, Lord. that you would fill us, Lord, just with compassion and love, that our love for one another would grow and grow, and that we would learn how to please you more and more. Lord, I thank you, Father, that, that you have gifted every person here, that you have given them yes, gifts Jesus. and talents to be able to use in the kingdom of God and in the house of God. Lord, to stir up those gifts this year. Stir up spiritual gifts. May yes, we see Father. signs and wonders in your house this year. Father, might we all just grow in our love for you. And I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. I just declare that over True North this year, that it's going to be an incredible year of growth, yeah. not only in souls being saved, but in each of our individual lives and corporately as a body. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you as a family, God, that you go before us in all that we do. And Father, we declare that 2020 would be a, a year filled with faith, seeing the impossible come to pass, God. We know that what is impossible yes, for man Lord. is not impossible for you, mm -hmm. Father. So we just declare that this year would be a year of faith, God, a faith of seeing and believing and walking confidently before you. Father, mm -hmm. we thank you for all the things that you'll bring to pass in 2020. We thank you for all the things you have done, the things you are doing. But more more importantly, God, we thank you for the things that are yet to come. May this year be a year filled with faith. In Jesus' name we pray. A faithful church said, Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Thanks, guys. Hey, you may be seated. I'm excited, um, not only what God has begun in the church, but as we finished off 2019, we launched Vision Builders. Many of you had given sacrificially to Vision Builders, and um, 2020 will be a year where we see the launching of True North College, which we're very excited about, um, in, the, in the area of equipping and releasing world changers in the life of this church. And in addition to that, for us as a family to bring the gospel in the prisons, partnering with an organization, God Behind Bars, which we're incredibly excited about. And God's doing so much in and through the life of the church, and I'm so excited about it. I have an exciting announcement for you with the facility. Um, it may not be that exciting to you. But it may or may not, but to me, I, I couldn't sleep when we got this news. I was excited, but they permitted us, that is the state of New Jersey, to turn on one valve um, of water, but it is an important valve because it enables us to get into our building, which is very good. Um, 
Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. We were prohibited uh, from getting into the facility because of a water issue, and it just kind of got resolved, and we got a word just this past week um, in writing that they will permit us to turn on the valve so that our fire system can um, be supplied with water. Um, so we will be in there shortly. Can I just encourage you to continue to pray? May prayer precede everything that we do. Amen? Come on, amen? Come on, let prayer precede everything that we do. I, I, want, to, I want to go on a little journey with you this morning, and I, I'm already realizing that I gave the, uh, the production team probably about 700 too many verses this morning, and I don't want you to be distracted. I, I'm, it may be better if they don't even put them up, and I, you just listen to what, what, what I'm sharing to you this morning. But um, New Year's always bring new blessings. They bring new challenges for Liza and I. We are um, bringing in a, a new child. Our family is, is growing. And so there's always new things where God is. And he's always doing things differently. And often when God does something new, let me just remind you, like he doesn't need your permission to do something new. He never waits for authorization from you to go from, from winter to spring, summer and fall. He doesn't ask your permission. It happens. And in addition to that, everything in our lives, it continues to move. And when we trust God, if we see him and we recognize his control over our lives, we can see him doing new things. We don't fight against it. We don't argue with God, but we trust him. When we don't understand it, it doesn't make sense. It wasn't part of our plan. Scripture says that though man makes his plans, God determines his steps. We trust God that he's before us in all things. Every time a new year comes about, I'm always reminded of the word vision. Everybody say vision. Every time I would talk about vision in church, I always thought it being th the dreams that I have. I, is anyone else a daydreamer? Anyone else a daydreamer? Are you willing to admit it? I, I, lo I love to dream. I just love to dream. And, and, and I would always have, have these visions of being, like when I was in class, I think I inherited this from my father. When I'm in a classroom setting and I'm just like, I, I, I used up my four minutes of attention and, uh, and my attention span was gone, I would just dream of being somewhere else. You know, and, and I'd smile and laugh and people were like, something's wrong with that kid. He's thinking about something. I was just at another place and, and I was just dreaming. I love to dream. When I heard of the word vision, according to the word of God, I thought it meant, what are your dreams? What are your dreams? Now, now part of that is true, but, but it's also dangerous and often misleading if you see that as the singular approach of vision referenced in Scripture. It says in Proverbs that without vision, people perish. So we know it's vital that you and I have vision, right? Vision is incredibly important. It also says in Habakkuk that we not only should have a vision, but that we should write it down so that we can run with it. So a vision should be something that not only that we have in our life, it should be something that is written down and clear. That's what the Bible instructs us to do when it refers to vision. But not only that, the, the vision for our life is one that is for good things. None of us write down a vision of disaster in our life. We write down vision of prosperity and hope for our future. The good thing about that is it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, this is what God declares. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a future and a hope. 
So we should have a vision in our, in our heart. We should write the vision down. We should know that God's plans for us are for a future and a hope, not to harm us, but for good things. But in addition to all of those things, we know that Scripture says in Matthew chapter 6, 33, that we should seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all of these things. That is the umbrella of dreams and visions for your life. All of these things will be added unto you. So the Word of God says that vision should precede everything. You must have it. It should be written down. The vision should be to prosper you and not to harm you. That's God's plan for your life. What is your plan? Whatever it is, you should write it down. But then he almost, after, after Scripture gives you all of those things, in Matthew 6, Christ says this, there needs to be something before any dream and vision you have. And it needs to be your pursuit of seeking me first. And so the more I started to think about it, the vision is not so much what you actually desire to see come to pass. The vision is you actually seeing Jesus for who he really is. Because, my friend, you cannot walk by faith if you don't see Jesus for who he really is. We have clarity for our future, clarity for our children, Clarity for our grandchildren in our visions and dreams and the future of our life. But how clearly do you see Jesus? If you don't see Jesus clearly, it is difficult for you to walk into a new season filled with faith. And may I remind you, as sons and daughters of God, we walk by faith. Amen? It is our movement. We, we are, are, are followers of Jesus Christ. Our movement demonstrates our faith. It demonstrates our faith. It's so important that we move by faith, not by what we see. As I was going through Scripture looking for references of, of faith, and, and I remember as I was going through different stories and parables, I, I immediately remembered this parable or this story shared in Matthew and in the Gospel of Luke. And it's this parable about faith. It's this parable about having this confidence in who Christ is. And it changed, the dynamic of the story is so powerful that if you pick it up, it'll change the way that you think, the way that you act, and the way that you talk around people. It's a story of the centurion and the faith that is displayed by him. Now, as you read this, it's presented in the Gospel of Matthew and also in the Gospel of Luke. But it's interesting because in the Gospel of Luke, we see that, and I never really picked this up, but we see that Luke is very, very clear in his descriptions that the centurion never sees Jesus. I have to be honest, I never really knew that because I always would read the story in Matthew and focus on that. And Matthew seems to allude that the centurion sees Jesus, but Luke is specific in saying that he never sees Jesus. He never sees him. And in the, in the text, it actually says that he sends the Jewish leaders to go out first and to approach Jesus. I want to read this parable to you briefly, but I want you to understand the significance of this. Before this parable transpires, before this actual event happens and unfolds, um, Jesus is, is sitting down and he's teaching. And he's talking about how to begin something new. How to begin something new. And he uses this reference of building something. Now, we've been in this building process with our new facility for quite some time. And um, building something requires a lot of intentionality, a lot of investment, 
a lot of patience, a lot of due diligence. It's not something that can just happen overnight. It's not flipping. It, you got to count the cost. It requires a lot. But then he begins to, to associate how do you build your life with building a foundation of a home. And listen to what it says in the text. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? See, Jesus is drawing very, very, very direct to people saying, listen, you're following me. You keep calling after me for needs that you have, but I'm telling you what to do, but you won't do them. You won't do it. You won't trust me enough to actually do what my word tells you to do. So he says, why do you keep saying, Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? He says, I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me and listens to my teaching and then follows it. So he's painting a picture. He's saying, listen, I'm going to show you what this is like for someone who not only hears the word, but actually follows it. Are you still with me? Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Okay, okay. So this is what he says. He says, it is like a person building a house. So he chooses, Christ chooses to use this metaphor of building a house for your life. For your life. This is what he chooses. He could have used any analogy, but he chooses this for building a house. He says, it's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. And when all the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house without a foundation. And when the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. So he's saying, if you want to start well, I recommend that you start on building your future on a solid foundation. And he is suggesting that that foundation is found in being obedient to what he declares over your life. Now, this is what I know. This is what I know about, about following Jesus. Often the Holy Spirit needs to be the one to reveal to you the areas in your life where you're walking in disobedience. Because often you've convinced yourself for so long that what you're doing is okay, that you are completely blind to the fact that you are living in sin. In the way that you treat people. Listen, the Jewish leaders were just like this. They approached Jesus and they said, hey, why don't your, why don't your disciples wash their hands? That's tradition. It's ceremonial. They need to wash their hands and they don't do it. And Jesus said, how dare you, you hypocrites? He says, the word of God says that you are to honor your father and mother. But you say you can devote your time to the temple, therefore you don't need to pay attention to your father and mother. He says you're filled with hypocrisy. He says you've made these rules to appease you, not to honor God. And often we do the same thing. Whatever seems to fit our life, whatever is comfortable for us, we'll navigate through the journey of life and we will decide, not God, what is actually pleasing and honorable to him. And Jesus is saying, that's fine, you're permitted to do that, but this is what your life will look like. It'll be like a house that is not built on a solid rock, but it is built upon sand. And when everything starts to fall around you and the waters start to rise around you, it will collapse and turn into ruins. You know why? Because you did not heed my word. At the beginning of this, he says, why do you keep saying, Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? For many of us, we will come into church week in and week out, and there's areas in our life where we're dishonoring God, living in sin deliberately, but we continue to call on God's name. And Jesus was dealing with this in his time too. 
He says, how can we just say, Lord, Lord, help me, help me? He goes, you're not doing what I've called you to do. And it comes into many areas, into our relationships. Are we honoring God in our, in our marriage? Are we honoring God with our purity? Are we honoring God with our finances? Are we honoring God with our time? Listen, we want to talk about maturity, but in order for us to get to the mature areas of our life and to grow in all these areas, we need to begin by coming back to the place of having faith. Faith is connected to obedience. Faith is the demonstration of where my hope is connected. And when I choose to disobey God, it's me demonstrating unbelief to God. And it's actually directly connected to pride. Do you know that scripturally, you'll see that faith and humility are connected and unbelief and pride are connected. Do you know why? Because pride says to God, God, I know your way, but I believe my way is better. I've been in church a long time, and I've watched these conversations unfold. I've had these conversations with God and other people myself. And they go like this. Well, God, I know. Oh, well, God, you know me. Okay. And you said I'm special. <laughs> and your word does say that I should do this, this, and this. But God, you know my situation. God, you know my situation. And, and I'm glad that we understand each other and, and that you still love me and your grace covers everything. And, and therefore, I'm okay. You know, Paul addressed that. Paul says that where sin abounds, grace abounds even greater. And then he says, so therefore, should we continue to sin more so that grace will even increase? He says, no, no. It's as if the crucifixion had no significance and as if you're crucifying Christ over and over again. He says, that's not the reason for it. Grace should cause you to change. It should produce change to walk in faith. And so as he goes in this story with the centurion, it's interesting because and I'll quickly go through it, but essentially the centurion has a servant that's ill. And he sends some of the Jewish leaders to, to Jesus. And he says, hey, my, my servant is ill. Can you ask Jesus to pray or to come and heal? And, and Jesus was on his way. And then he didn't, something happened. And so the centurion sent his friends to Jesus. And Luke, and this is what it says. It says, so, he says, so Jesus went with them, these were the friends, but just before they arrived at the house, the officer, this is a centurion, sent some of his friends to the Lord to say this, Lord, don't trouble yourself with, by coming to my home. He says, for I am not worthy of such an honor. He says, I am not even worthy to come and meet you. He says, just say the word. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. This is not a Jewish believer. This is, this is an unbelieving generation or a Gentile, if you would. This is not the people of God. This is someone completely else. But this is what he says. He says, I'm not worthy that you come under my house, but just say the word. Just say the word. That's what he says to him. And my servant will be healed. He goes, I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers, and I have authority over my soldiers, then I only need to say go, and they go, or come, and they come. And if you say to my, to my servant, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. He turned to the crowd that was following him and said this, I tell you, I have not seen faith like this in all of Israel. And when the officer's friends returned home, they found that the servant was completely healed. Do you know what many scholars say is so fascinating about that passage? 
was that it was someone who was with, beyond the bounds of the nation of Israel, but someone that perceived the authority of Jesus. They saw Jesus for who he was, that he had this power and authority to heal the sick, to give, to give legs to the lame, eyes to the blind, that he could raise people from the grave. And the, the man under authority recognized authority and says, listen, I don't need you to come. All I need you to do is to say the word. And when you say the word, I know that my servant will be healed. And he does it. It's a faith thing. Where is your faith today? Where's your trust? Where's your hope? It's nearly impossible to begin anything new without faith. Faith is the catalyst for all new things. It's the catalyst for change. It enables our movement to honor God in what we do. Faith must be first. I shared with our staff a while back that I, I tried to prioritize these four F's in my life. And the first is faith. The second is family. The third is fitness, and the, f and the fourth is, is finance. Did I say that right? Faith, family, fitness, finance. But faith precedes them all. And if faith, my walk with God, is not where it should be, I cannot order the other three. And often what we do in our world is try to navigate and fix the other three without placing our trust and our hope in God first. That must precede every single thing. Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not yet see. I love this declaration of a core value that we have as a family that we're made to move. You know what we're saying? We're people in process. God's not done with us yet. He continues to change us. We are a work in progress. And though there is this, there is this appealing kind of, uh, there's this sense of appealing thought to stay in a place of comfort, we know that God calls us to live this life of being comfortably uncomfortable. That he calls us out of this place that we find this comfort in. And he says, I need you to trust me. I need you to place hope and faith in who I am. I love this idea because movement is not random with God. It's not random. We don't just move just to move. We don't just, we're not just busy just to be busy. The right, the right movement always begins with me knowing who I am. I love this because who you are comes before what you do. And if you don't know who you are, you'll never ultimately know what you're called to do. And in a generation and in a society, we spend so much time and money and resource trying to tell a generation what they're called to do. But we seem to neg neglect the importance of first reminding them who they are. And because we've often forfeited describing that spiritually to a generation of who they are, they're walking aimlessly around this planet not knowing what to do. Because, my friend, you cannot figure out what to do bef before you understand who you are. You need to understand who you are. The who precedes the do. <laughs> You need to understand who you are before you feel called to do something. The person before the purpose. And for my life, it was always backwards. I will always would say, when I find out what I want to do, I'll find purpose and value and meaning. And I almost convinced myself that if I connected to something of significance in my vocation or my calling or my job, whatever it may be, that I would find this place of identity. That's not what Scripture says. Scripture says, doesn't say that you aimlessly navigate to find something that you enjoy to do in this temporal world and it'll give you significance in the eternity of your soul. 
That's not what it says. It says that you need to understand that God has placed eternity in the heart of humanity. That he has wired you in that way. That you were created to walk with God in relationship. To trust him. To walk with him. To have hope in him. To find joy and peace and prosperity in him. And it is through you understanding who you are in God that you'll finally understand what you've been called to do. You'll never find fulfillment in the assignment of your temporal thing. Fulfillment comes from you connecting to God and understanding that you're a child of his. Faith. Faith. Don't ever forget as followers of Christ, Scripture declares that we are called to walk by faith. So all of our movement should be faith movement. Faith movement. And you know what faith movement looks like? It's saying that I, my hope's in God. So think about the movement in your life, the relationships you have, so your, your finances, your time, your words, your thoughts. Think about all those things. Do they demonstrate faith in God? If someone saw your conversation with your spouse written out on a piece of paper, could they read that and say, wow, there's a sense of honor and love in that relationship? If someone saw the investment of your time, would they be able to determine the priorities that you have in life? If someone saw your checkbook, would they be able to see where your treasure is? Because where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Would they be able to see it? Every action, listen to me, every movement we make is a demonstration of where our faith is placed. Every movement we make, it's a demonstration of where our faith is placed. And listen, for many of us, we demonstrate to God, God, I don't have enough faith to trust you in this. For many of us, we, we've convinced ourselves that this is okay for God. And you know what we're saying? God, I don't trust you in this. In the beginning, in chapter 3 of Genesis, we see, that, we see the fall of, of, of humanity. We see Adam and Eve being tempted by the serpent. And I, I, want you to, I want you to see this and see how in our humanity we have this natural inclination to fall back in trusting ourselves over trusting God. God walks in the garden with Adam and Eve. Perfect relationship with humanity. He's given man dominion to be fruitful and multiply. There's no shame. There's no fear. There's no intimidation. There's no anger. There's no injustice. It is perfection as God walks with humanity in the garden. And then the most peculiar thing happens. The Bible says that the serpent were crafty than the others begins a dialogue with Adam and Eve. And as he's having this conversation with them, he begins to, to, interestingly enough, begins to touch on the senses and appeal to their reason above the declaration and authority of God. It's fascinating because here they live in perfection, orchestrated by the word or the mouth of God. God's spoke this creation into existence by his authority and by his words. He spoke this garden of perfection into existence. And here comes this deceiver, this liar, and he begins to speak to God's creation and to suggest to the created that in some way they could replace the creator and they themselves could be seen on the same level as God. And so he begins to question, did God really tell you not to eat from this tree. And so their mind begins to reason. Well, maybe he didn't. Maybe I can. 
The scripture records that they see the tree and it is pleasing to the eye. And we see that sense of sight. They're looking at it and it seems okay. What they're hearing, the lies and the deception, it seems okay. And then the, they grab a hold of the fruit and they're touching it. They're like, it seems okay. Every sense seems to be appealed. It seems to make sense to them. And then all of a sudden they choose, they make a deliberate decision to act against the authority of God. And my friend, it's in that very act that they say to God, God, I don't need you. I can define boundaries on my own. And God, I will tell you where my boundaries begin and where my boundaries end. But my friend, this very act is what initiates the fall of humanity. It is the very act of saying to God, God, I can do this better than you can. And from that point on, humanity, even to today, question the boundaries that God has placed in our life. Can I tell you something about the boundaries of God? They're meant to protect you. They're meant to give you a future and a hope. They're meant to call you into a place of love and peace and joy. They're meant to call you out of a, out of a mindset of negativity, out of a mindset of, of stress and worry and, dis, and unbelief. And they're meant to call you into a place of dwelling on good things, holy things, being filled with the fruits of the Spirit, demonstrating love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and, um, and faithfulness and self-control. Calls you to all of those things in Christ, which declares, God, I trust you and this will be year that I live with faith and all of those things I challenge you today <laughs> where's your faith you know all of us have faith in something in something and I just want you to have greater faith in God than you do in yourself for many of us we don't recognize it but there's areas in our life that we tell God God I have this under control I appreciate the help but no thanks and my prayer for you today is that you would ask the Holy Spirit to guide you, to make you aware of the areas in your life where you're missing the mark, the areas in your life where you're saying to God, God, I don't need you. I have this figured out. Numbers chapter 14. Some of you know the story, and I'm close to my time, but I want to share this with you because I think it's important. Moses sends 12 spies in the Old Testament, you can read the story. He sends 12 spies, one spy from each of the 12 tribes of Israel into the promised land. He commissions them with one responsibility to bring back a report of what's in the land. He carefully almost adds to that, I don't need your opinion of whether or not we will receive the promise of God. I simply want a report. And so all 12 walk into the promised land. They see what God has promised them. And they come back. And as you read or hear the report that they bring, it's quite interesting. The 12 men bring back a report and they say, it's just as God said. It's flowing with milk and honey. There's prosperity everywhere. The, 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 the fruit is larger than we've ever seen. It's, it's incredible what is before us. And they bring that, back this report. And I can imagine the people standing there as they hear the ten men bring back this report. And people are probably like, this is incredible. It's God's promise to us. And then all of a sudden, they interject something. And their interjection seems to deviate from the initial assignment. And they begin to therefore describe their opinion as to whether or not they will be able to receive or to defeat the enemy that's in the promised land. 
And then they begin to rationalize in the same way that Adam and Eve began to rationalize. They began to see with their eyes. They began to hear with their ears. They began to see all the things around them. And they thought, listen to me, my friend, they thought they were walking in wisdom, but yet they were walking in pride. Pride says, God, I know your promises, but what I see, what I see before me nullifies the promises that are before me. And so what they thought they were doing with wisdom and reason, they were acting in defiance and unbelief before God. They said, we can't do it. Yet Joshua and Caleb, two men, they said, no, we saw everything they saw. We witnessed it all. But this is the response. This was the response. But if God is for us, who can be against us? If God says it's ours, it is ours. And if we go in, God's going to be for us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the proclamation of saying, God, I trust you above every other voice in my life. I want to pray for you before we go. But listen to me, church. Listen, your best days are ahead of you. God's called you to something significant. And the only way we walk in significance is to fully and completely place our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks for watching. I pray that that message was a blessing to you. And I pray it's encouraged you um, wherever you find yourself in your journey of life. We never like to end any one of our services without giving you um, the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus was raised to life, that you will be saved. And Salvation is a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't buy it, you can't work towards it. It can only be received. It's this incredible grace that comes only from God. So the Bible says that right where you are in your season, not trying to fix anything else, not trying to get yourself better, not waiting or putting off salvation, but today to make the decision to say yes to Jesus, that you know you can't save you, that you need Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of your life. The Bible says it only requires you to say a simple prayer. So repeat after me, just say this prayer. Say, dear, dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again. Come into my life and make me new. I'm now a Christian, Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you just said that prayer, we believe that your eternity is secure in Christ. One of the things that I want to encourage you to do, your next step, if you would, um, is to tell somebody. Whether you're telling us through the website and contacting us and informing us or telling someone else at a local church that maybe you visited. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to be planted in a healthy, Bible-based church, whether it's True North Church or another church close to you. Find a church community to do life with. Man, we're so excited for you. Make sure that you get a Bible. If you don't have one, please reach out to us. We'd love to bless you with the Bible and encourage you on your journey with Jesus. I'm excited for you. I truly believe that your best days are still ahead.